everyone, and welcome to the season finale of the Super Mercado Bros Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much. I can't believe we're wrapping up our ninth season. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And my name is Will Brueggemann. This is probably the most exciting episode we've ever done of, <laughs> in the history of this show. For us, so, it's just incredible. We're so happy to be joined once again by our brother, Marty. Marty, thanks for joining us. I couldn't be happier to be here, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. So so as tradition on this show, finale episodes usually are interview episodes with game composers, and we have the most exciting episode in store for you today. We were so fortunate this past February at MAGFest to interview exclusively Manami Matsumai, the legendary video game composer who composed what you're hearing right now, the original Mega Man, as well as so many other uh, great entries in video game history. It was such a wonderful conversation. We were so um, grateful and lucky to arrange that exclusive interview and uh, today we're going to be showcasing a f- pretty much a full-length episode on her music and then cutting to that interview and then going back to more music it's going to be an absolute treat yeah th- this was really one of i think the highlights of this entire super Mercado brothers experience you know the whole entire yeah. history of the show getting not only to um, meet uh, this person that we're such huge fans of and is a direct influence on a lot well, of our music, I think it's because but to interview her and to ask her about those projects is just uh, unbelievable. Well, it was the first time that we got to interview a Japanese composer that was active in the heyday of game music. And right. for us, it was it was such a, a lucky opportunity. Yeah, it, it really felt like time stood still. I mean, it, it was it was truly a magical moment for all three of us and... Uh, I mean, I mean, we were just shaking afterwards. It was hard to believe that it and I know actually that we've, happened. We've talked about it before on the show, so we have been saving this up for this finale. So we're so excited to finally unveil that well, interview. And in the there's middle a couple of reasons episode. behind that. You know, it was it was kind of a process to get um, a, a translation of mm-hmm. the, the the way it worked is we had a translator in the room. Um, but the way that uh, we were conducting the interview was a little bit more conversational. So we actually had her audio translated again mm-hmm. so that we could have sort of like an official transcript of what went on. So we, we have a lot of people to thank. And, you know, it's been a lot of work preparing this episode. But actually today, um, if you're listening to this episode, we also have the video of mm-hmm. uh, the interview um, is live on our YouTube page right now. Yeah, so, so you check can check that out. That out as There'll well. be a link on our website to that video. So let's get into it because we have a lot of wonderful music to play from the legendary game composer Manami Matsumai. Okay, so what you guys heard up top was a Lechman stage from the original Mega Man. And we're going to keep that going. We're going to play a couple more tracks from uh, the original Mega Man for the NES. I thought you meant we're just going to play a Lechman stage. <laughs> we're going to play today. that two more times. No, we could. It's a wonderful track. Let's move on to Cutman stage, another classic piece of game music. Enjoy.
You guys are listening to Cutman Stage from Mega Man for the NES, composed by Manami Matsumai. What's so wonderful about going back and listening to the first Mega Man soundtrack after knowing where the series went, it's crazy how much she established in this first game, you know, maybe the harmonic language of Mega Man. And also, uh, as we'll hear today, this is so different from a lot of her other work. Like, sure. it was a very specific sound that right. she went for in this first game. And I don't think she realized, and anyone on the team, how, I guess, kind of archetypal this, this would end up being. Yeah, I mean, exactly this, not only um, for the rest of the series, but for video games in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we talk of as that sort of Capcom sound, I think can really all be traced back to this first Mega Man soundtrack. And I mean, Completely. yeah, talk about influential here. I mean, not only the way that she's utilizing all the channels and the the harmonic language, uh, like you mentioned, um, but really also, I mean, the kind of rhythmic identity, not necessarily in terms of like the drums and rhythm section, but in terms of like melodic rhythms and mm-hmm. just kind of things that become, like we said before, archetypes for the rest of the 8-bit era. Totally. I mean, it's almost uh, the big bang of a big part of our video game sure. universe. And kind of like mm-hmm. Carl was saying, um, there's so much of the DNA and kind of the genetic imprint of what would come in the future all packed in to this one little project. And it's really amazing um, just kind of reflecting on that in general, but particularly after we got the chance to talk to Minami yeah. and to realize that it's like uh, there was there was something just organic about how she created the music. Sure. It, it wasn't as though she was necessarily aware of the explosion that I think, I think she was kind of putting out into the world. I think that's a good place to be as a creative person, as an artist, oh, to totally. not be aware maybe of how big something is and just, just to work on it and do your best. You know, because that's always going to lead to because sometimes the pressure can really get to to you. You know, well, if you I think realize the thing that all this, three of right. us were really struck by um, with getting to meet you know Matsumai-san was just how incredibly humble she is, and it's you know it's not false humility. It's it's really genuine. You know, I mean, even asking her if she had any advice of what to give to other composers, and she she's right, so humble she she's not worthy. View herself, but that's, that's what's so amazing to me about it. a lot of these um, Japanese I think that's video game composers too. Yeah, there, I yeah. mean, it's like you've seen that with Koji Kondo, or um, I imagine to some degree Masato Nakamura, where it's like th- they have such a huge cultural impact around the world, all Mm -hmm. these people knowing and loving their music, growing up with it. And to some extent, I imagine they're aware that the games are popular, but I still can't imagine they, they really can comprehend the impact that they've had on so many people that they're really, you know, rock stars. Well, we're going to play one more track from the original Mega Man before we move on to other titles in her career. So let's play Fireman Stage. Enjoy, guys.
You guys are listening to Fireman Stage from Mega Man. Oh my gosh, this is so so wonderful. It's crazy that we're playing all this music and Hashtag you know fire. we could just have an episode, you know, a lot of times we spotlight on composers that we're not able to interview and it would still be a fun episode, but it's just so exciting knowing that in the middle of this episode we get to actually sit down and talk with you know. Really, uh, yeah, it still blows my mind because th- this <laughs> yeah. is a, a kind of piece of music where, you know, the second it starts, it hits that spot in my brain of just like, oh, classic, mm-hmm. sacred, you know, thing that is unchanging and has existed um, since the beginning of time, you know, because this is one of those <laughs> right. things that you just grow up with. Guys, one thing I want to talk about today, I'll hand it over to Marty for a little bit. Let's talk about the, the melody on this track. I, I hear like a specific kind of like folk influence in here in this melody that I don't hear in a lot of other tracks. Is there anything like unique about this fireman melody that is maybe not in some of her other work. Yeah, I mean, it, it is actually almost, uh, I actually almost hear it as the, the first part of the verse mm-hmm. uh, is almost like a Japanese kind of yeah. folk melody. And then it gets into that lovely, more like classical kind of sequence. Right, yeah, that first part was what I was talking melody. about, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, it's just, it really, it really makes you kind of stop and admire uh, just exactly what she did with this soundtrack uh, realizing that like it's just coming from this natural place of her expressing her own musicality mm-hmm. and the combination of those influences and those tastes uh not only uh was it indelible and like will said it's like it still holds up to this day as something almost sacred for those of us that admire video game music but it really it, it almost became a best practice of really how to combine these elements uh, in this era, particularly on the the NES. It's just amazing. What's so striking to me about um, this track is it's almost... I don't know. It's composed in sort of, I guess, the arrangement, if you want to call it, is done in a style that I associate more with music of the 16-bit era, where you have, you know, melody, bass, and then uh, like a a harmonic line or like in this case it's that sort of one note like reggae kind Mm -hmm. of stab sure um but what's interesting typically on nes music you have like melody and harmony and lockstep Mm -hmm. and bass line or melody and some uh, delay particularly on this soundtrack yeah but to have that effect of almost like three separate musicians in the band, right. I think was very um, bold for its time, and particularly that that kind of one note stab. It really is just one note, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. It, it's trying to evoke the sound of maybe like a guitar chord or something, but it really only has one actual. And pitch. again, it comes back to what we mentioned last week. We mentioned it a lot. We're using our imaginations to fill in the gap, and that's definitely what you're doing on this track in a lot of sure. NES music. Well, and the other thing to give her credit for the use of the the metallic setting yeah. on the yeah. noise channel really gives it a lot of character. Um, uh, you know what's interesting? To me, a lot of this uh, music in the first Mega Man game has kind of a Spanish-European mm-hmm. flavor to it. This agree. one always reminded me a little bit of that. I, I really like I really like yeah, looking at it that me, way. Yeah, for me, it's kind of this ambiguous folk influence, and I'm still not sure exactly where in the world it, it really is inspired by, but it has some sort of folk influence. Well, I mean, me. maybe that was sort of by design. Maybe the idea was to make the music feel... Because the cool thing about Mega Man as a game is it allows you to choose the stages. Right. And so I think the idea mm-hmm. was to make it feel almost 
worldly, but not necessarily specific so. to any actual location. It's something that makes it so universal. Well, guys, right, sort of like Tatooine is the desert, and right. Empire is the forest <laughs> yeah. kind of. A well, I'm really excited thing. because even in the past year or so, much more information has has come out as far as specific crediting for uh, arcade games. Because really. Most of what Minami Matsumai did at Capcom, she only worked there for a few years, was arcade games. She did a lot of arcade work. And this is a game we're going to move on to called F1 Dream. And now it's been confirmed that it was composed by Minami Matsumai and Takashi Tateishi, which is so exciting for us because if you don't know, he's the Mega Man 2 composer. And he, he didn't compose for very long. And this is a project that they worked on together which is so awesome. So let's play a track that we've never played before. This is Final Race from F1 Dream. put a smile on your face oh my gosh folks this is f1 dream and this is the final race composed by manami matsumai takashi Tateishi also worked with her on the soundtrack it's so wonderful because this uh predates uh un squadron so it's very similar sounding uh music than what what she would get a year later what's crazy this came out in 1988 but i specifically saved it for this episode, I didn't play it last week because I thought this would be a very well, good. I'm, I'm glad you did. Choice. Yeah, the two of them are really like the godmother and godfather of Mega Man music, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. And it's, I think it's so great that they actually had such a warm relationship. Yeah, they it just, just one the of those interview, things that just seems so perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, and they, what are they s- seem to really enjoy working together. What are some things that struck you about listening to this track? I, I don't know if you guys had been familiar with it. I only heard it for the first time a couple weeks ago. Well, I, I think I, I, I really enjoy some of those uh, trademark uh, chord moves that feel very specific to Minami Matsumai, mm-hmm. um, particularly in that last bridge section and in that kind of sequency B section. Um, but the melody is uh, a lot more kind of busy and ornamented and mm-hmm. riffy than I would necessarily expect from a piece of music at this time. And I think that's kind of cool. I think they were really going for almost like a performed improvisational kind of sound. I, I think mean, you're right. Something we're, right. Uh, the three of us were sort of remarking on while we were listening to it is how close that one synth lead comes to sounding like an actual Hammond organ. Well, so I think it really is trying to evoke yeah, really that something. type of playing. Well, I think there's a specific difference that I hear in her arcade work versus her console work. And there, there almost must have been some sort of thinking of, oh gosh, this is so fun. Look at, we have all these channels and we can choose these different instruments. Let's do something more performance-based. You sure. know, and it's just, the, the music is so much much more it feels extemporaneous on the arcade it feels like almost improvised whereas the console music of hers feels a lot more uh, kind of structured into the grid well, and, and I stuff. think that's really in keeping 
with what you guys have said before about arcade music of this era in, in general, which is that composers usually felt like they had a little bit more uh, runway to sort of stretch out mm-hmm. uh, with ideas. And I think you're right, Carl, that it's there's something almost uh, exciting and um, maybe even sort of exceptional about that arcade experience. Um compared to with the technology that was available at home. So I think mm-hmm. having that kind of piece of music that almost felt like maybe it was a little bit more lifelike with the mm-hmm. improvisation. Right, um, right. And more of a actually believable organ sound. Uh, that was probably really exciting at the time. Well, now we're going to move on to, I think, the next year, 1989. This is a huge year for Manami Matsumai. This is another arcade game called Dynasty Wars. And this one has um, some folk influence in it as well. The name of this track is Shishuiguan, which is round two from Dynasty Wars. You guys are listening to Sushuiguan, round two from Dynasty Wars, composed by the wonderful Manami Matsumai. Really interesting piece of music, some very bold chords that we definitely haven't heard so far, and you can tell that the tone of this game warranted uh, just a little bit more spice in, in the sure. chord department. But well, the dynasties are warring. <laughs> they are warring. Well, there's a, a very kind thing. of heroic... Uh, a section. I mean, both with those kind of trilling yeah, flute I think sounds so. and um, those oh, yeah, sort of the this. two primary chords that they have of this very almost filmic, like heroes coming to town sort of a feeling. But what I really enjoyed is this later section that has those sort of parallel rock power mm-hmm. chord harmonies. Yeah. That actually reminds me of like some of the stuff that she's done as recently as Mighty Number no. Nine. Yeah, I know. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of music with that same kind of uh, chord paintbrush. It's one of the reasons just, why I wanted to include this is because it reminded me of some of her more recent work and it's fun that we still get to play music we've never played on the show on today's episode because you'd think that oh wait we've already played all the classics before and really this probably isn't a classic well it's a little bit more obscure another thing you know that reminds me of is we were fortunate enough to actually get to see Minami Matsumai perform music live perform her own music the score to Mighty Number 9 uh, along with uh, other people from uh, you know the team that did like Mega Man Zero and some mm-hmm. of those other soundtracks. Which one thing we should mention is that you know, despite you know the reception of the game overall, I think most people agree that the music is is very very good in yeah. Number Nine. So well, and just kind of this exciting historic moment, you know, getting this composer to return um, to be sort of at the forefront of a game experience like this and to write in a style that. It hasn't really been the norm for video games mm-hmm. for really decades now. And, you know, when we well think said. about, uh, without saying too much about uh, how the game's been received, we think about so many times where throughout history of video games, uh, you know, games, you know, 
maybe they're good maybe they're not very good but the soundtrack is a lot of like the redeeming like we were just playing bad dudes last exactly week. yeah or like when we think about the fallen brothers they almost exclusively worked on games that weren't received well sure so all right guys it's so exciting 1989 she also composed u1 squadron and we're going to play um, one example of the arcade version and then one example of the SNES version. Let's start off with round two, Thundercloud, from the arcade version of UN Squadron. guys are listening to Thundercloud Round 2 from UN Squadron, composed by Manami Matsumai. Boy, so, so good. classic. You know, this is another game. I mean, we were playing uh, some Gradius stuff last week, and a few weeks ago playing ah, yes. um, some stuff from uh, Salamander, or um, what's it called? Life, Life Force. Force, yeah. Salamander, I think, is the arcade version? Yeah. Uh, but anyways, I, I've been kind of thinking about... Uh, that conversation that we had maybe a few years ago where we were sort of talking about the musical traits in old uh, side-scroller shooters that Mm -hmm. evoke the sense of flight. And I I think oftentimes, you know, it's like UN Squadron is this separate entity in my mind because (laughs) it was such an interesting and fun discovery for us that we're so in love with the music that I've never really allowed that to include itself in the conversation. Well, partially because the music is so unique, too. But this is the first time I'm listening to it and I'm like, oh my gosh, it totally is capitalizing on a lot of those same... Maybe it wasn't until, you know, we actually spoke with her, but that I was really thinking like, oh, she really is evoking a lot of the feelings of... um, Right, it's like we have liftoff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, almost like... Well, I'm sure a lot of it does just come from, you know, the influence of pop music of the 1980s, but there there really is something about, you know, some of the intervallic leaps in the melodies and just the chords. There's something very uplifting, particularly to me that, like, chorus that... Like it's the the chord sequence is just so freeing and satisfying. That almost it does feel like itself captures yeah the um the kind of carefree sense of getting to you know fly. You know one thing that I was uh, really thinking about when listening to this track. uh, You know we talk about 
Minami Matsumai as being an influence for kind of a particular branch of the video game tree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, listening to this track, I I really sort of felt like it could have been influential for uh, Masato Nakamura working on Sonic Sonic 1 and 2. Um, And maybe part of that is just hearing these more FM kind of instruments. But it's really nice kind of... Or potentially being inspired by the same stuff. Sure, you know, or but it's nice just thinking other. of Minami Matsumai as really having um, a very broad influence on mm-hmm. the video game musical tradition. Well, sure, because, I mean, I don't know, you think about Masato Nakamura as being this huge figure in Japanese pop music, right. and Minami Matsumai being inspired by Japanese pop music, and then, Marty, if what you're saying is possibly true, where he was crazy? inspired by other video games at the time, you know, Area 88, UN Squadron being sure. one of them, they could have both influenced each other. Cross-pollinization yes, of interesting sort of melting pot of right. great musical ideas. Well, guys, we're going to play an SNES track. Now, it's interesting, because that piece we played was not in the SNES version. It was just exclusive to the arcade. Uh, this is a piece that's in both. It's stage one, known as Frontline Bass. Here we go. So much has already been said by us about how, how this track is just killer. This is Frontline Bass, the SNES version. If we did have a track of the week, this would probably be it. Uh, not doing a track of the week this week, but um, wow, this is just... Every time I listen to it, there's more things that I... I don't want to say discover, but there's more things that like I appreciate in a new way. It's well, just I, I think you guys discovering this track actually was a major catalyst in in you going forward with the Super Mercado Brothers as a as a going concern as a mm-hmm. podcast. I sure. think just the excitement of finding a piece of music like this that was so unbelievably strong um, but wasn't something that we grew up with. No. Um, it's just enough for sort of like a musical treasure hunter right. to kind of devote their if life. If there's stuff that's good <laughs> out there that course. I haven't heard, well, it's almost like it's Indy, Indy finding the cross of Coronado yeah, absolutely. and that giving him the courage it to It redirects like your entire yeah. fate at that point. Well, yeah. guys, uh, we're now going to play music from the sequel. There was a spiritual sequel to UN Squadron. I don't think we've ever played uh, music from this game before. This is Carrier Air Wing, and it's really cool stuff. Arcade music here by Manami Matsumai. Let's take a listen to Boss 2. Thank you. 
That is badass. I love this. This is Boss 2 from How Carrier we played Airwing. This before? This is ah, crazy. So cool. It's so classic. It's classic video game music. And you know what's so funny is um, this is a soundtrack that for whatever reason kind of I, you know, it's like we discovered Area 88 or U1 Squadron, but we never looked into the spiritual sequel, really. Yeah, areas 89 through 90. <laughs> it's so good. In similar territory that she covered in U1 Squadron. Well, yeah, it's interesting because um, we were talking about some of the connotations to flight, and another one from that uh, thundercloud that this track has is that kind of twinkly that arpeggio. arpeggio, which, yeah, that definitely has that kind of flight connotation. Beautiful. For me, the all star yeah. of this track was the bass, the rhythms of that bass. Yeah. Yeah, I also I love these FM instruments. A lot of times when we listen to arcade music, um, sometimes somehow it feels like lacking, or the instruments are very well, unpleasing. Sometimes the mix, the mix of the yeah, levels almost, of the instruments, it almost always strange. does because it's it was a very early time to use that chip, and there's not but a lot this of experience. Great, they have this sounds it. wonderful, and they're usually sort of. Uh, kind of mixed for the particular speaker set right. what well, is worth mentioning this came out in 1990 so she's had a couple years of experience on the FM chip so I mean it, it definitely sounds different than a 1988 soundtrack that uh, twinkly arpeggio sounds like it's using like the sonic ring instrument almost. oh my gosh yeah just the dream of the 90s overall oh my gosh alright guys we're going to play one more track from Carrier Airwing and then we're going to cut to our interview with Manami so excited this is mission 4 it's called Raid the Dockyard here we go so good at those shredding riffs. This is a wonderful piece of music. It's Raid the Dockyard, Mission 4 from Carrier Airwing. You know, her her lone contribution to Mega Man 2 was a shredding guitar riff, so she's she has chops. Oh my gosh, for days and days. I love the sort of voice leading on the chord voices. It's really beautiful. Uh, it, this, uh, this is and another the jazz one. chords. What's kind of interesting about this, uh, when I think of, you know, thinking of a more contemporary example of her music in Shovel Knight, uh, her stuff is a little bit more demonic and kind of like musically a little bit out there and experimental, which mm-hmm. is so cool. Um, but what's interesting is this track kind of reminds me of Shovel Knight, like the Jake Kaufman stuff, all that like oh, sure. Dorian, yeah. well, heroic battle sort of music. I think it inspired a lot of people that would work on video game music in the coming years. This is 1990. It's very early video game music. Oh, this primary theme here. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? So that's what really was kind of strong. reminding me almost of, of Shovel Knight in a way. And that's yeah. what I think is cool, you know, when she's asked to do to work on the music for that score, she didn't just kind of do the stock and trade type of sound that I think we all may have been expecting. It's, oh, Manami Matsuma is doing this 8-bit game that's supposed right. to be an homage to games of that era, yet she really made a bold choice with that music to really spice it up and do 
something well, a little different. Well, that's what we see time and time again with great composers from media is they can't help but respond um, right. naturally to the and material. Genuinely, you and, know? Yeah, and totally honestly. And so, I mean, yeah, it's just another great example of how Manami Matsumai responded to the material of Shovel Knight. Mm-hmm. And when you combine those, like you said, sort of demonic, uh, really kind of out there tracks with uh, with what Jake delivered, it's I mean, it's, it's really special. Well, guys, we are very delighted and thrilled to finally share our conversation with Minami Matsumai. Enjoy. First of all, Matsumai-san, we're so incredibly grateful for this opportunity to get to speak with you. Uh, We want you to know that you're a real musical hero of ours, so thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening to my work. Do you remember when you first started to compose melodies of your own? After graduating college, I began working at Capcom. That's when I started to compose seriously in my life. What were your feelings about video games before you were hired by Capcom? Were you a gamer? Did you ever play games? I was in college when the first generation of games came out, like Super Mario and Dragon Quest. I really loved them, and I played them a lot, so I had no resistance to working with video games, although I was really surprised by the fact that you could actually make music with only three tracks. Matsumai-san, can you tell us a little bit about your experience uh, working on the very first Mega Man? What were some of the challenges in composing that game? Mega Man was the first job assigned to me, six months after graduating college and working at Capcom. I still hadn't figured out the knack yet, so writing one piece would take me two days, three days, four days, sometimes a week, when it was really bad a full week. I remember it being really difficult. And then after writing a piece, I'd have to convert the music into data logs, so notes had to become numbers. That made things even more difficult. I'm curious, when you first saw the character of Mega Man, when he was first presented to you, what overall musical style came to mind? The first time I saw an illustration of Mega Man, it reminded me of Astro Boy, or some kind of futuristic, cool robot hero. It wasn't an adorable character like Mario, and it wasn't like the Dragon Quest role-playing characters either. I thought to myself that I should write for an action character who'd be moving around a lot, and the music needed to match that. Your work on Mega Man is so beloved, uh, but you've done a lot of great work outside the series. One of our personal favorite soundtracks of yours is to uh, UN Squadron. What memories do you have from working on that game? Ah, UN Squadron. I love every single song from that game. The thing is, I don't know. The person in charge of the project just gave me so much freedom with it. Up until then, someone had to give me specific instructions to write music like this and that, and I'd keep up. But with UN Squadron, the person in charge was like, do you know Top Gun? That movie? Write music like Top Gun. Otherwise, I have no requests. So I watched it and paid attention to the way the planes flew and wrote the music. So it's actually filled with songs I love. You had a wonderful performance last night of Mighty Number 9. Do you have a history of performing live, and uh, do you enjoy playing in front of an audience? Absolutely not at all. I used to never ever perform. I almost always worked solely on composition. 
I was never a part of the advertising side or being on the outside. Two years ago, there was an indie video game event called Bit Summit. I played there for the first time, four songs in fact. After that, I had a few small gigs here and there overseas. So this past show, playing over 45 minutes, is a first in my life. Seeing so many people in the audience was really surprising. And it was so much fun. We're curious about your jazz influences, and we've noticed that you seem to enjoy using a particular jazz chord sequence in your music. For example, in You and Squadron and Mighty Number no. 9. Will, could you actually sing a quick example for us? Ah, that's one of my favorite chord progressions. My favorite musical ensemble is the Pat Metheny group. I love how in his work, the chord changes smoothly without you even realizing. I've listened to him so much, I think he's very influential for me. Yeah, something related to that about your music is that it feels almost as if it's improvised but also composed, as if it's being composed in front of the listener. Ah, I can see that. That's very true. Thank you very much. We really love your work on uh, Shovel Knight. What was it like working with Jake Kaufman, who was actually inspired by your music? I met him two years ago in Seattle. Shovel Knight had a booth there at an event. I was invited, so I went. He came up to me and said, your work has really inspired mine. I was surprised and flattered. It was very flattering. Matsumai-san, we're so excited for your music to Mighty Number no. 9. Uh, what has been similar and what would you say has been different with uh, working on this game as opposed to the classic Capcom games? Back when I worked with Capcom, you couldn't use as many tracks as you can now. There were limitations. That's the 90s. I was with Capcom until the 90s. So when I worked with Capcom, my music had restrictions. Now that doesn't exist. That's the biggest difference. I just have to ask, what advice would you give to an aspiring video game composer today? You wouldn't believe how often people ask me that. The thing is, though, I'm really not in a position to be giving out advice. Let's see. You have to listen to as much music as possible. In Japanese, you'd use the saying, store as much as possible in your drawers. If you're working in the video game industry, you'll be asked to write music in this or that genre. But if you're not familiar with the genre, you couldn't do it. You have to listen to classical music, rock music, jazz music, even heavy metal. Just have a wide range of knowledge. You have to make it a part of you. I think that's the most important thing. That way songs and pieces will come naturally, I think. Yeah. We've noticed that some of your melodies seem to start off in a similar fashion. Is there anything you think about when you're starting a melody? For example, Oh, UN Squadron. The thing about back then is that, oh man, back then there was this music I used to listen to all of the time. I forget what it was, though. I used to listen to this album by a rock band that would build up a lot. I think they had an impact. It wasn't Pat Metheny, though. Oh, I forget the band's name, though. I think that's what it was. 
Another piece of yours that I think is just absolutely genius. Uh, it's used in every single Mega Man game. It's so incredible, and it really captures the character of Mega Man. How did you come up with that piece of music? Oh yeah, it's everywhere in that. It continues in the whole series. When I began writing Mega Man, I had hit some severe mental block. But one day I was on the train heading to work, and that part suddenly came to me. Short phrases like that are easy to forget usually. It's human nature to not retain things that aren't memorable. Yet I was able to keep that phrase in my mind even after getting to work. So I thought to myself, oh, this is a phrase that is easy to remember. And then maybe this is a phrase people will never forget. So I built around it and wrote songs based off of it. I was on the train and didn't want to forget it, so I kept repeating it in my head. And I got to work and still remembered it, and now it goes like... Another one of our favorite composers is uh, Takashi Tateishi, who composed uh, Mega Man 2 and even collaborated with you on um, some of that, as well as uh, UN Squadron. But then shortly after, he stopped composing for games. Are you still friends with him, and do you know why he stopped composing? That was a time when I was responsible for UN Squadron, and he was in charge of Mega Man 2. And I asked him, do you want to swap a song? And we did. So we each have one credit, respectively, for those games. So there's that. After he quit Capcom, he was with Konami. And Konami had so many composers there, like Michiru Yamane and Akira Yamaoka. There were a lot of famous composers there, and that's why he said, I can't do it, and gave up. I actually think he's better than both of them. (laughs) Okay, we gotta keep that a secret. Then he started his own music production company, and he runs it now. Uh, You mentioned that at times melodies would come to you while on the train or out on a walk. But we also know that you're a great piano player, and you write at the piano. Do you notice a difference between the music that comes to you while out and about versus uh, sitting down working at the piano? When I was younger, it used to happen where I'd come up with melodies, even in a train. But now that I'm older, (laughs) that happens less and less. I started to sit down, play chords, and then write, more and more. Now I found myself in the situation where Unless I'm hitting keys, I can't come up with melodies. I'm so curious, what does this weekend at MAGFest feel like for you, with all these excited fans and all the craziness, compared to your normal day-to-day life, which we assume is a bit quieter? That's true, that's true. And there are DJs scratching records and stuff. Oh, it's not bad like that. It's really, really fun. It's almost like an omatsuri. I really love it. I noticed at the concert last night, you played the theme to Mighty Number no. 9, and uh, before the band came in, you first played it slowly, just on the piano. Was that closer to how you wrote it, and have you performed it like that before? Yes, it was. I spoke with the band, and that's how we wanted to play it. I played piano, and Godspeed, the guitarist, started harmonizing. Then the structure ended up being a massive build-up. We arranged it like that specifically for this set. Uh, Matsumai-san, we lastly wanted to thank you for being such a great role model uh, and for being so humble. Uh, You really teach all of us just how to be humble and gracious with this gift of music. Oh, you're embarrassing me. I can't brag, really, though. 
That's normal. Bragging would bring about nothing. Ma Matsumai-san, thank you so, so much for your time. You're it was an honor yeah. to meet you, thank and uh, it was just a delight talking with you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Wow, that was fun to say the least. That a was blast? life changing. <laughs> that was yeah, that, something that I think we'll never forget. Um, and Hopefully Marty, you guys enjoyed. I, I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to be a part of that whole experience, and you're able to be here with us today. I'm just, um, I'm just so grateful. Um, I mean, like he just said, it was. Uh, not only a historic moment for uh, this podcast, but really for the three of us as brothers. Yeah. And we're just so lucky that we got to share that together. And we crammed honestly, so much. we're still kind of pinching ourselves. Yeah, it's right. crazy how much fun we crammed into Megfest. Uh, we can't wait to go back next year. Um, yeah, it's 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 really in, in, insane. And I, another reason, you know, I'm I'm glad you're here because, like you mentioned, the the three of us. I mean, the when I think of all the things that we've done over these past, you know, four and a half years, just doing this podcast and all the different uh, composition projects and Marty with Fireflower mm -hmm. and the different interviews and all the things that we've been a part of together. Uh, it, right. it really gives you an appreciation for where we started and where we've come. I mean, getting this opportunity to have, and I mean, so many of our interviews, you know, have been via Skype or through sure. the internet or, you know, phone interviews. And it's different to, to sit actually, down yeah, have an interview, you know, in a conference room and with a translator with one of our favorite composers. It's I think the most magical thing and my favorite thing about the interview, obviously uh, different languages, you know, there's a little bit of a barrier there, but the moments of universality where she didn't need right. a translator, and where just, she was singing along with, yeah. with you, there, there's certain things especially when you're a musician it doesn't matter what language you speak music is a language and right. that's one of my favorite things about this interview that was captured God, so it's one of the most powerful things the idea that you can't speak the same language and you can't even translate the ideas perfectly right. yet right. immediately you start singing something and like the jazz she, like, changes she yeah. it didn't need to be translated she right. was able to just even interrupt me what i was saying she's like yeah yeah yeah. i know exactly what you're well, talking guys, about um that was yeah. that was such a thrill we still have half the playlist here to get to so let's go back to playing some wonderful matsumai music now we're going to move on to kind of her game boy era after she left capcom in 1991 she did a lot of good freelance work for companies such as sunsoft a lot of really quality music on the game boy so let's play uh batman return of the joker which had its own game boy score that she composed let's take a listen to boss fight
You guys are listening to Boss Fight from the Game Boy soundtrack, Batman Return of the Joker. Oh my gosh, this is badass. I love this. Man, oh, so harmonized good. riffs. Yeah. So catchy. You know, and you know what's so cool is hearing her now go back to an 8-bit system after, you know, have, spending so much time in the arcades, because, um, you know, she worked on Mega Man and then did almost exclusively arcade work for Capcom. Right. And then she goes back here. Doesn't it feel like she's has a different energy? It's a, It definitely doesn't sound like her arcade work. It really sounds like uh, an artist that has uh, no hesitation in what they're in what they're doing. It just right. yeah. this. Uh, I mean, and maybe I'm just sort of uh, imagining things, but it, it really does seem as, as though she know she has so much confidence and. Uh, so much intention and knows exactly what she wants to do with that right not with, the type, not the type of confidence that you need to like verbalize and say I'm so great but when you're working when you're working on well it's like actual confidence at. in practice yeah. you know not necessarily I agree speech. man I think there's a lot of truth to that gosh yeah this is a great track really one of the best uh, I, there's something about that kind of music and her music in particular that to me you just can't beat an 8-bit presentation there's the charm of those synths that well i find it interesting so that distinctive. she did a lot of work for sunsoft but wasn't officially a sunsoft employee was a freelancer and it makes sense that she's not doing the nes versions that naoki kadaka and his team are doing who are actually employees of sunsoft but she's definitely sure. had to have been familiar because the soundtracks are great pairs of each other they feel like very similar like tone, aesthetically yeah. but they're different tracks. I, I really wonder why the choice was made to have a separate Game Boy soundtrack. Well, it's almost like a, Dave Wise had that wonderful um, insight when he talked about uh, doing the Donkey Kong Country 3 score Conversion, for Game yeah. Boy Advance and how he decided mm -hmm. to just write all new music rather well, than... Well, I'm grateful sort of... because now we get another Manami score. And I suppose also uh, thinking about that time, um, I imagine most of the people that had experience for implementing uh, that music were also individuals that wrote um, in those languages. Right. Uh, and so if you're hiring someone to, to take care of the Game Boy adaptation, and in this case, it's Manami Matsumai, who's an outstanding composer, then, uh, I mean, how fortunate uh, then we are that right. they really gave her the opportunity to just, okay, yeah, well then compose while you're at it. Awesome. We're going to move on to another uh, great track from another Game Boy title. This is Looney Tunes, which I believe came out in the early 90s. We're going to play again the boss theme for this game. Let's take a listen. wonderful you guys are listening to the boss theme from looney tunes for the game boy oh my gosh this is so wonderful wow if we had a track of the week this week this would definitely be a, a contender, contender. In the oh runnings, yeah. and we've never played this 
gosh, again, I mean, if if I can't more echo what I said in the last track, Manami on 8-bit is just where it's at it for It is me. totally yeah, where it's can't at. Can't touch it. The yeah. level of craft, uh, you know, again, using the limitations. And, you know, there is something comforting, and I can relate to this. When you have a set of limitations and a set of options that you're forced to do, there's something almost comfortable about that. You're in this little box, and then you're able to, like, try to do the best you can with it. Well, because it doesn't actually take all this kind of confidence to do something small. You know, when you have a whole orchestra at your disposal, one of the most bold choices is using, you know, a small mm -hmm. selection of instruments. But that takes a lot of almost guts to not choose to use, where when right. you have the limitations forced upon you, you know that there is no restraint. You're just trying to use you know, the most of what you can w with those limitations. So the goal is like almost a little bit more clear. And yeah, it's, you it's, know that you're fighting an uphill there's battle. There's just this level of craft and, and like you said, confidence and comfort that I hear on her 8-bit work that is just unmatched. I mean, in this piece in particular, uh, it's just so immediate and so evocative with those almost sort of coin responses oh, yeah. mm -hmm. in that little section. It's like little there's something Latin and just, about, about yeah, Every idea is just, is has been condensed um, to to just sort of like yeah, the gold. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's and if really you guys amazing. like cartoon music in general, I highly recommend checking out the whole soundtrack to Looney Tunes for the Game Boy because there's some great. wonderful cartoons. Such music. a focused melody, right? I right. think, and really a real sense of playfulness and interaction between the different voices. Yeah, this is one of my favorites, and I never heard this before today. Mm -hmm. Boy, oh, great! Well, this let's great. move on to yet another Game Boy. Uh, the last Game Boy soundtrack we'll play today. A uh, very colorful, happy piece of music. This is Adventures of Lolo. And we're going to play Area 1, composed by Manami Matsumai. Are we in Mario Land right now? I feel like we kind of are in Mario Land. I think we're in, well, I think we're in world. the uh, adventuresome lands of Lolo. Yeah, oh absolutely. Gosh, this is this wonderful. This is outstanding. I mean, it's so short. It's this is this could be a shorty, a short loop. It's like, one seriously. of those great melodies, though, that has that confidence. There's sort of like a, a groundedness in what notes it chooses to kind of. Right. Yeah, I guess I would describe as it as point. short and sweet. Maybe is a good yeah. way to describe it. Well, honestly, uh, this track started playing, and we're just yeah, in seconds, just collectively getting one over here. in seconds. It's crazy because to me, the, the Nintendo harmonic world and melody language is so separate, separate. from the whole Mega Man. So to hear identity. her do that, and so to, yeah, to c c combine as you described, you know, the godmother of worlds colliding, Mega Man music, and really the godmother of that type of. Uh, eight and sixteen bit catchy pop rock video right. game music. The sort of yeah. driving to energy. combine with this real emotional, sweet, bubbly happiness that I associate with you know Nintendo, you know Kirby, Mario, that kind of thing. Um, but she's it's really a, a perfect fit for it. Uh, Boy, yeah, that is a that is a real gem. God, that was great. So glad we got every to track share that. we play. We we're all remarking like, oh, this <laughs> track of the week. If we were doing a track of the week, this <laughs> which would is be one it. of the reasons why maybe we're not. Okay, so one of the series that she um, went on to work 
uh, in the video game world was Derby Stallion. And there was a I lot of... Well. No, actually, I've never, ever heard of it. <laughs> never heard of that? Derby, wait, horse, Der- Derby horse games. St- An absolute yeah. classic. Pebble Beach golf links, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So Derby Stallion's uh, horse games. And one of the, one of the uh, struggles for this series is finding information, finding crediting. Um, in the in the recent years, there's been more. So now it's been confirmed, and if you go on v- VGMDB, they have a lot of good information. She composed the music to Derby Stallion for the PlayStation, which is a score that we we actually gushed over recently on our listener show and tell. Carlos brought a track in that we're going to play today, and it was improperly credited to David Matthews. He was the arranger on the album and he played piano but manami composed the music yeah let's give a shout out to carlos because uh when we weren't Mm -hmm. you know interviewing these legendary composers uh we were hanging (laughs) out with the kelly brothers and carlos yes and uh carl carlos and i actually went to see the mighty number nine concert live so he's a great guy good Uh, times okay we love carlos and honestly uh when i think about us preparing for the interview um I'm always going to remember um, mm-hmm. just spending time with Carlos just beforehand oh, and right. just that was yeah, so his nervous. excitement leading we up, to it, up to it. Um, yeah, we were so nervous just, for that. Yeah, it helped to kind of propel us. Well, let's play a beautiful piece of music that is so contrasting to um, when I think of the Manami sound. This is from Derby Stallion. It's Birth of a Legendary Horse. You guys are listening to the very relaxing piece of music, A Birth of a Legendary Horse from Derby Stallion for the PlayStation, composed by, in actuality, Manami Matsumai. You know, honestly, I was entering into today's episode um, in sort of the mindset of a career retrospective. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you hear this track and you realize, in many ways, we've only gotten to see the tip of the iceberg with Manami Matsumai. Right. you know, with the previous track that we listened to, uh, like Will was saying, it's like, oh, wow, seeing her in almost like a Kirby's Dreamland kind of setting was really something remarkable. Right. And here, just getting a glimpse of this beautiful, lush, and very understated orchestral theme. Come it's just like, wow, what, what else is there? Yeah, it really is a perfect lullaby, a very simple melody. It's in that kind of uh, three, four time signature, mm-hmm. which somehow feels very fitting for lullabies and it um, shares that melodic contour that a lot of uh, pieces of 90s music have like the full house theme song or the janet jackson uh song together again kind of a lot of 90s or Lapida, melodies have you know that. castle yeah. in the sky yeah, um, but it's just so tender and sweet and um another example you know i think a lot of manami's music is really fun and busy and energetic 
Um, but I've particularly enjoyed the pieces we've listened to today that have that incredible clarity, that economy mm. of notes that she's so incredible at that, you know, I think is what yeah. makes a lot of the Mega Man music so fantastic. Right. And I think it made that Lolo's theme so great. All those sure. Game Boy tracks. You know, and now with this, it's almost like the epitome of that um, complete, you know, perf- the perfect quality, I guess. You know, and melody. I'm kind of under the impression that it's sort of that aspect of her work in the first Mega Man game that Takashi Tateishi really latched onto. Right. You know, that sort of economy of notes, that that perfect phrase, that sure. that brevity is beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm so glad that we've gotten so many opportunities to to listen to those to those pieces today. Absolutely. Well, now we're going to move on to a really exciting collaborative album uh, featuring a bunch of different uh, video game composers and remixers that came out a couple years ago. It's called World 1-2. Everyone from Anami Matsumai to Austin Wintry to a bunch of different people contributed pieces uh, on this album. It's a fun album, and we're going to play her contribution. It's classic 8-bit goodness. It's One Shot, One Kill. In case you were wondering, that's actually how it's done right there. So take notes, everybody. This is one shot, one kill. Wow, she's a master. It's also a description of the piece, really. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my I love gosh. when she gets classical on me. I love when she gets funky. She's but seriously a very that, funky that A theme is just unbelievable. Isn't it crazy that this was never in a video game and it's just for a collaborative album? Not yet. The other thing I love about it. Um, this sort of is just perfectly captures one of her trademarks, I would say, musically. And I've heard her discuss this in other interviews before, where you know you can take all of her, you can take all of her melodies for different games, and you can play them with sort of a stripped-down, simplified um, instrumentation just at the piano, and you really hear the the delicate nature of the melody and how and the interaction between the bass and melody. But yeah. the definitive version is once you add the groove in and yep. just turn on the funk. You know that's that's when it really comes alive. But it's something that I think is in the spirit of most of her music and in honestly a lot of Japanese video game music where it's that kind of dual Completely. nature between the rhythmic catchiness, but that kind of pure 
perfect, really emotional quality in the melody. I think it's one of the things that makes video game music so unique. And I think it's honestly, you, you could isolate it all down to that duality, I think is one yeah. of the reasons we even have this podcast, even mm -hmm. if we didn't realize totally. it. It's one of the things that makes video games unique it's one of the things yeah. that makes well, game music apart from other music it's that sort of mana that we really can only get from this place it, right it's, it's like this is fusion you know we said it before video game music is a fusion just like jazz fusion is a fusion but it's this specific fusion of but yeah it's like there's pop, no there's no sort of vocal funk. based like rock or sort of mm -mm. popular music that tends to have so frequently melodies that are that elemental mm -hmm. right um and then there's very rarely um really memorable melodic instrumental music that's built around such exciting grooves and well, it's also just, it, it really when you're in the midst of a piece like this it sort of feels like you have it all well it's i think one amazing. of the most important reason it goes back historically to the fact that they had to make loops and what other, what other genre of music has to make loops you don't want to make loops when you're making a rock song you want to have a full song you have different lyrics you have whatever but when you make a video game loop what you want to do is you those 40 those 50 seconds you have you want to be as contrasting as interesting as colorful as possible right. so when you come back to the loop again it feels satisfying and that's right. maybe why the music is so jam-packed with great ideas. This is really one of the best things I think she's ever written. Um, it's so good. Every, yeah. Everything well, about it. Well, I'm glad we got is, to showcase on it. I now we're going to move on to the really exciting game, Shovel Knight. And this was composed by Jay Kaufman. And it was so great. Um, and she mentioned in the interview uh, how it happened where he asked her to, you know, to contribute. And she said, sure. Uh, she contributed a couple tracks and really bold choices, uh, spicy tracks that, that she contributed that were the perfect contrast to Jake's music. So let's take a listen to A Thousand Leagues Below, which is also known as Iron Whale, composed by Manami Matsumai. So wonderful. You guys are listening to A Thousand Leagues Below from Shovel Knight, composed by Minami Matsumai. And one thing that listening to this uh, that I am I'm always interested by is uh, how tasteful Jake Kaufman 
depth was in arranging this and sequencing this. He didn't go out of his way to really make it in your face. He probably could have gone farther and make it maybe more snarly or added more like crazy runs or whatever, but it really feels like I would imagine very close and faithful to the demo that she sent him. And it's just really, the parts are super clear, you can really hear the melody. He did he did a really good job of arranging this, and this piece of music is just, it feels like a classic 8-bit Well, yeah. He just has so much respect for her uh, as, an, as an artist, and yeah, you can definitely hear that. I mean, I know even he said in he was just today's playlist, we've been able to hear mm-hmm. pieces that I imagine have direct influence on him as a composer. Well, I remember he said he was really nervous to, to send her back the final versions. Oh boy! <laughs> I could just imagine. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, doing that? Oh, but it's just—it's terrific. It's so great. Yeah, I probably heard this track more than any other game in the game because this level I just kept dying so many times. It really puts the shovel in the shovel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so wonderful! Well, guys, we're going to move on to a really timely game, Mighty Number no. Nine. And like we said before, I think the music, uh, the soundtrack, is something that most people I would think would agree that is is really exciting and really good you know um, elements of the game are not you know received very well yeah I mean I, I think graphics gameplay I think Matsumai-san has fulfilled the promise uh, absolutely that was put out soundtrack there for, I, I really like the soundtrack um, later we'll share uh, some more tracks from it um, there is one track that Takashi contributed which is so exciting a uh, new Takashi track um, obviously um, Godspeed contributed I think one or two tracks um, uh, we're going to play a track, uh, obviously, that was composed by Manami Matsumai. This is the main theme, a track that we know very well. Um, it's just a killer piece of music. Let's take a listen.
guys are listening to the main theme from Mighty Number no. 9, composed by Manami Matsumai. And yeah, uh, really cool soundtrack. You know, we, we mentioned the contributions. Uh, also, Ippo Yamada contributed some tracks to the soundtrack as well. And uh, we'll have to share some of those uh, in a future episode. But this is a, feels like a classic piece of video game music. That's because it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's why. Makes sense. And it feels like a similar headspace she was in with that one shot, one kill doesn't it yeah yeah it really does where uh you're hearing some more modern synths and some digital synths and um probably some computer plugins and an interesting Mm -hmm. kind of mix of things but Uh, this is another example what you mentioned marty earlier which i think you're so right it feels like we're just scratching the surface of manami matsumai because this is a different type of energy than i've ever heard her Composed, but you can tell she's going back to a state of mind that she was in at Capcom, and there, there's this sense of love and this sense of kind of nostalgia that's in this track. But there's also a freshness, not just in the sound of the VST. Well, I mean, yeah, it's totally sure. like it's just 2. fresh. Oh, I mean, it, it's right. it's more long form, it's more emotional in many ways. Bits of it seem like more painstaking and crafted than even like the original Mega Man soundtrack. I mean, it, it, in some sure, ways, it's sure. impossible for it to. Be in that same level of iconic and classic. Yeah, it's that it's that interesting because in some ways musically it sounds a little bit more reminiscent of UN Squadron than right. maybe the original. Well, Shaman. I mean, it's just it's it's interesting. It the other melodies it reminds me of are just other classic pieces of uh, old video game music, not sure. even necessarily by her. But I think what at least the idea of Mighty Number no. 9 was meant to get back to that original spirit of old uh, game music. And I think one of the reasons that people were so excited by it was really the music. And hearing this theme, it really got people thinking that, like, oh, we could have a new generation of games like that. Right. You know, it's I, I would say that the project itself kind of reminds me of a phenomenon that happened uh, in America in kind of the 70s and 80s when hmm. a lot of popular music artists. Um, we're starting to really suffer from the bad publishing deals that they sure. had made or hadn't made. So a lot of them went to the studio to re-record their hits. Yes. And this was a big phenomenon. There are a lot of re-recordings of top 40 hits from the 50s and 60s that were recorded in the 70s and 80s. And what's really interesting when you listen to these, um, first of all, most people, I've never met a single person that prefers <laughs> any one of those recordings. So it really kind of makes you wonder. It's like, well, well, why would that be? Is it just because it was this magical moment in time? But I think there's another side to it, which is that um, those artists may have been unaware of what the equipment and the production techniques and the resources of the time imprinted onto the mm-hmm. recordings. And when you hear you them just go that fresh away. into the studio and they're open to every piece of equipment and every new technology, you get this weird sort of... Um, well, no, something like, like, who is it exactly for aesthetic? Yeah, and I think Mighty Number no. 9 may have as a game may have fallen in that same place where it's like, well, okay, it's, you know, starting with from the same traditions, but ultimately maybe saying yes well, to a lot of different technologies there's something and, and who fake really want it. And unsincere, I guess, about uh, similar to that phenomenon you were describing of, it's like those songs aren't contemporary. They're old songs. Right. So you can try to package them in a new way, That's but the so reality true. is it's not genuine. It wasn't sure. just written. And I think Mighty Number no. 9 might have the same thing where like the idea, the spirit of it was to go back to something old, but the reality is it can't compete with something that was created from the ground up 
now. Yeah, I think it, you're totally it, right. That's about not that. really what it is. But again, right. you know, for our podcast, what's lucky is the music. I think they totally succeeded on that dream of going back, but also doing something fresh. I think the music well, think is there's, great. There's the more... one downside I will say is implementationally in the game, the mixing's really off in the game. The music's really quiet in the game. The sound effects are really loud. Hmm. So, well, I imagine you'd have control over some of those levels, but not as not. much as you would. Oh, not as much as you would want. Well, that's, um, that's a pretty common concern. I've heard a lot of people say the music is inaudible. Uh, so official soundtrack release uh, is definitely a good thing. And, and you said it is a two-disc release. It's a two-disc release, yeah. So guys, we're going to play one more track today. Again, for Mighty Number no. 9, let's play, I think this is the Mighty Number no. 2 theme. It's called Beyond the Watery Vortex. Here we go. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us on this most exciting Season 9 finale. We had a wonderful time uh, back earlier this year speaking with Minami Matsumai. So glad we finally get to share that with you guys. We had a wonderful time today, uh, you know, exploring her career. And thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's been such an incredible journey for us. Um, Just doing this show for you all um and so we're grateful for your support because really without you guys we never would have gotten to have these incredible opportunities Mm -hmm. uh that we've had and so we're glad to be able to to share some of that with you we hope you've um you know enjoyed this season we really are trying to kind of uh spice it up and do new things for you guys uh next week in kind of classic tradition we're doing a season opener and um season 10 opener yeah in 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 kind of the tradition of the way that we've been doing this show hopefully that'll mean you know a slightly more prepared and uh thought-provoking kind of editorial different perspective episode that'll be very interesting we're looking forward to that we're going to play you guys out with the boss from daffy duck the marvin missions for the game boy another wonderful manami matsumai track thank you to matsumai san for speaking with us we want to thank alexander anil for translating uh the the day of we also want to thank mia uchida 
who you can uh, you can find her on Upwork.com. She did a great job of also doing some more retranslating for us. Thanks to uh, uh, thanks to all of those people. It wouldn't have been this episode wouldn't have been possible without you. We also want to thank Alvina Brueggemann who um, overdubbed uh, the audio for the English translation. That was uh, really helpful too. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, head on over to our website. You can leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, everybody. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Thanks so much for coming today, Marty. Thanks so much for having me, guys. What a pleasure. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. (laughs) 